Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 454. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farms to streamline working with their buyers. To help you better work with individual buyers, Farmers Web has lowered its credit card processing fees to 2.9% and 30 cents per transaction. As always, by using Farmers Web, unlike standard e-commerce sites, you get all the features designed with farms in mind for managing your orders, customers, sales, and record keeping. Learn more at FarmersWeb.com. As you have heard me discuss, since the last week of March, I've been hosting weekly Slow Flowers member virtual meetups as a way for our community to stay in touch using the technology of Zoom meetings. It has been a wonderful new experience, allowing us to share more voices and more stories of resilience in an intimate, although online, setting. Typically, we have no more than 50 people participating on the call, and for those who can't join us each Friday, we're able to post the meeting video for people to watch the replay. Today's guest, Yanni Levenbach of Flowers Without Borders, is one of the most engaged attendees. As Lisa Watt, our membership manager, pointed out, Yanni has almost perfect attendance, other than missing the Friday before Mother's Day. Last week, I invited Yanni to share his story as a guest presenter, and it was a meaningful experience for our members to hear his rather unconventional wholesale model. You see, Yanni calls himself a flower hunter. He isn't like most larger wholesalers with a physical operation with a large buying and sales team. Those folks are definitely flower hunters too, make no mistake. It's just that Yanni has a customized approach working almost as a personal shopper with a small cadre of wedding and event florists as he scours the country and continent for specific seasonal blooms. After just hearing from Yanni for 15 minutes, I knew I wanted to learn more and I wanted to share his voice with a larger audience, the larger audience of the Slow Flowers podcast. We made a last-minute decision to record this conversation just a few days ago, and I thank Yanni for being spontaneous and such a great source of inspiration. Before we jump into today's conversation, here's a bit more about Yanni Levenbach of Flowers Without Borders. As a young man, Yanni moved to Los Angeles from Cape Town, South Africa, bringing with him a love of nature stemming from a childhood surrounded by the astounding biodiversity and beauty of daily life in South Africa. He founded Orchids Without Borders in 2006 as a means to supply mainly locally grown flowers to event companies, wholesalers, and florists. The company was later rebranded as Flowers Without Borders. Yanni has worked in the wholesale floral business since 1989. Along the way, he also owned a high-end floral and landscape design business. 
With 19 years' experience bringing the magic of international destination weddings to life, specializing in shipping flowers to places like Mexico and the Caribbean, and here in North America, Flowers Without Borders provides personalized service to florists and event specialists, sourcing predominantly local and sustainably grown flowers. The business is a direct reflection of Yanni's persona. He's interested in each client, their story, their lives, and he enjoys building relationships based on communication and a value of trust. As he writes on the Flowers Without Borders website, we believe in the farmers who grow our souls one stem at a time, and we believe in talented florists who create beauty with their flowers. Well, you're in for a wonderful episode as we speak the language of flowers and color with a man who has centered his vocation on our floral community for 30 years. You'll find photos of Yanni, his favorite flowers, and links to his social places in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com for episode 454. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I am so excited today to introduce Yanni Levenbach of Flowers Without Borders. Hi, Yanni. Hello, Deborah. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining me virtually over Skype. It's all we can do these days. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you bet. You bet. So you're in Los Angeles. Um, I wanted to just let tell the listeners why I've invited Yanni on today. Um, we met last year when um, you joined Slow Flowers and you attended the Slow Flowers Summit in uh, the Twin Cities last summer. And I got to know you a little bit, but of course, there were hundreds of people there. So we didn't have much of a deep conversation but you've been joining the Friday, the regular Friday Slow Flowers uh, member kind of virtual meetups, and I've been really intrigued by some of the suggestions and comments you've had and shared, to the point where last week I asked you to come on as a guest. And how did that go for you? Oh, that went really well. Uh, I, I was really nervous in, in theory leading up, but uh, I really enjoyed myself. Well, I think also because you've been attending, you had some familiar faces in the breakout rooms and, and or at least names of people that you kind of knew were rooting for you. And it was a great conversation. Uh, me too, very much so. Thank you. Yeah. And so basically, we barely scratched the surface of what your um, kind of your type of business is in the floral marketplace and also some of your points of view, which are really, I think, very refreshing. And so I ask you if you would spend a little more time with me in the podcast to uh, reach uh, more listeners and kind of share this longer extended conversation. So thanks for saying yes. And I guess we should just talk about what is Flowers Without Borders. It's a great business name, by the way. It, it's just, it's just kind of feels like you own the world. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I am a flower shipper. I wholesale flowers. Um, I buy flowers from growers around the country. And I provide somewhat of a buying service for a lot of event companies and florists. Um, I have sold to wholesalers and lately also to farmers. And in the case of Florists and event companies, often they're too busy to spend too much time tracking uh, flowers, tracking freight, um, sourcing flowers, 
And so in many cases, um, I've provided that service. Um, and then lately as well to to farmers as well that um, that may need excess product and their crops may not be on season, but they certainly have so much to do that they often don't have the time to be sourcing flowers. Uh, and so that is part of the service that I've been providing. And you call fl- you call yourself in your uh, bio, I think, a, a flower hunter, which. It's so unique. It's almost like you're a concierge or something in the way you're hunting for flowers for personal customers, right? Yes. Um, In the beginning when I opened my business, um, I I really did not know where I was going or what I was doing. And part of what evolved in the beginning of the business was that I started attracting customers that were often calling wholesalers that didn't have a particular product on hand, and then the conversation would end. And so I started dealing with customers, um, I, I guess, to, to, to find a lot of the products that were a pain for wholesalers to find because it took a lot of time on the phone and looking and they didn't necessarily have the staff um, to do that. And so that was a niche that I, I found myself filling. Um, I would start looking in Southern California where we're based and if product was out of season, I, I would be tracking the seasons and following the seasons uh, normally in a Northern direction um, as things went out of season here they would start blooming in Oregon and then Washington state and then eventually Wisconsin and Alaska and, and even Canada. And so, um, I, I found myself speaking to a lot of farmers. Um, I found them very generous in terms of, um, giving me time and also referring me to, either neighbors or or just farms that they were aware of that may have the product that I was looking for that they didn't necessarily have on crop. And so um, I do have ADD and I I do get a little bit compulsive sometimes. (laughs) It's difficult for me to hear, no, you can't have this, you can't find this. And so when I get my teeth into something, I tend to... To, to make a game out of it mm. um, and present a challenge to myself, um, you, you can find this. You just have to keep looking. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it really leads me to to meet wonderful people. One example of this was a, a customer in Houston was looking for um, some lilac for a very important uh, wedding for her that she was doing, a destination wedding in New York. And they were out of season uh, everywhere. I, I could not find them anywhere. And um, I did eventually look all the way up to Alaska and Canada and I couldn't find them and I was about to give up. And somebody mentioned that in Vermont, there was a farm called Third Branch that is at a very, very high elevation. And it turned out that their lilac was actually blooming after Canada's lilac mm. because of the temperatures at this high elevation. Um, and it, it led me to um, 
uh, just a, a wonderful couple, a wonderful farm, a new resource. And um, so, so that, that basically outlines my process of, of hunting. The thrill of the chase is part of the, uh, <laughs> the your, your dog with a bone mindset, like you don't want to give up and let someone down. Yes, yes. And I, I mean, it's, I, I also have a tendency to, to want to be pleasing and, um, and I have a difficulty, you know, hearing you can't have access. No, it's out of season. And, and I, I kind of learned from experience that very often you may not need a huge quantities of a particular item and there may just be one farm that has a few bunches. So if you hear no 20, 30 times, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not blooming. I kind of try to adopt the, um, the mindset that if it's blooming somewhere in the country in terms of a commercial crop, then I will find it. Uh, of course, it's not true. There's too many farms to look at. But with that mindset, it, it does help me uh, trick myself into <laughs> believing that I, I will find it somewhere. Well, this is a little bit of a side question, but uh, when you mentioned commercial crop, what came to my mind is uh, the home garden. And have you ever resorted to buying from just flower enthusiasts who have great gardens and don't even realize that they can, you know, monetize what they've got on the overgrown rose shrub or whatever. I did do that. Um, I had a retail shop um, in the 90s and I did have, um, there were some gardeners in Los Angeles and uh, especially in the San Fernando Valley that approached um, myself and my partner, and they had really, really beautiful, uh, unique crops. Like uh, we used to buy porcelain berry mm, um, right. from somebody's garden. I haven't done that as a wholesaler because typically most event companies and florists are looking for um, volumes that sure. would exhaust yeah a home gardener but it does i i do grow uh some product that i sell probably less than one percent of what i sell <laughs> i grow myself and i i have a, a a small quarter of an acre uh plot where i grow succulents scented geraniums uh jasmine um I didn't and, know. Wow, uh, I didn't know that about you. So you're you've got a little farmer chapter of the business too. Um, yeah, I'm not quite a farmer, but just, <laughs> just a small plot, and and it it adds some unique things that I can't really find sure. at other wholesalers. Varieties of scented geranium, varieties of succulents, um, and and it feels good. I actually just got uh, four cubic yards of soil delivered yesterday, so uh, my shoulders are feeling. <laughs> well, thanks for taking a break from gardening to talk to me. Um, I'm curious how people find you because, um, not to put you too much on the spot, but you really didn't have much of an internet presence till about a year ago. Is is it just all word of mouth? It, it was word of mouth, and um, uh, well, I I don't have uh, any social media in my personal life, and so this was something I actually learned when I went to last year's Slow Flower Conference. 
and I was living in a bit of a bubble. Um, I don't have a massive uh, clientele because um, I don't have uh, a staff. And mm-hmm. when I learned this industry um, at the flower market, especially the shipping side of it, um, you know, there were people in HR, there were packers, there were people that uh, sold the flowers, collected the money, um, took the flowers to the airport, did the shipping. And so I do all of that. And so I, I don't really have um, the ability to take on um a huge clientele. Um, I did start um, recently uh, advertising on Instagram, or not so much advertising, but having a presence on yes. Instagram. Yes. And that has attracted um, a lot of new customers and new business, and that's been um, that's been really interesting. It's been really good for me, um, and it also. More than anything, it got me out of my flower um, clothes cocoon and it exposed me to a world of, of farmers and florists that I was unaware of, trends that I was unaware of. And in that respect, it's been quite an education. There was a learning curve because um, I guess social media has a language that is a little bit different from basic English. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Really? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, Yanni, you you mentioned a couple things about your your path, uh, alluding to your path to where you are now with Flowers Without Borders. And I'd love to ask you to kind of walk us back to your journey. You mentioned having a retail flower shop, and you also mentioned something to do with the Los Angeles flower market. So give us a little bit of a, a, I don't know, a narrative of, of what brought you into the flower industry in the first place and how you how you uh, progressed to start your own business. Well, this is probably your second business. Um, yeah, the, um, the initial impetus was um, I was working and a friend noticed that I was always outside hiking or camping. And she said, you're quite a nature boy. You should meet my boyfriend who works at the Los Angeles flower market. And um, I went to meet him and started working uh, the next day. Um, <laughs> wow. It seemed really wonderful. It was um, like a basic minimum wage job, sweeping the floor, cutting flowers. Um, but I, I liked the environment. I was in my early 20s. And so working through the night um, didn't bother me at all. Um, and it did not feel initially abnormal to sleep in the daytime and and work at night (laughs) that did catch up with me after about six years um because it it turned out uh, yeah it's not that healthy um but it was a really beautiful environment and um and six years later i realized that i had just um completed an apprenticeship um that i had no intention of entering, um, I knew a lot of the florists at the flower market. Um, and, and I got to, uh, to do the buying, um, for the tropical flowers. Mm. Um, 
And that was really rewarding. Eventually, uh, the company sent me to Costa Rica and to Hawaii to meet the uh, the tropical farms that I was buying from. And so that was a real eye-opener. Um, and um, I, I really enjoyed um, being around uh, the wholesale flower business. It, it really suited me. Um, and I don't, um, I, I didn't have, uh, when I came from South Africa, I, I didn't have an education, uh, a higher education to, to fall back on. And so this really became my vocation. Did you come to Los Angeles from South Africa when you were uh, like a teenager or a young man? Um, yeah, I came in 86 and I was 20. And I started working at the Los Angeles flower market in 89. Wow. Wow. So um, at some point you decided to go out on your own. Is that correct? Or when did that all happen? Um, that happened in 2006. Okay. Um, initially, um, I, I I had a partnership with one of the customers that I met at the uh, Los Angeles flower market, and I went into retail, and we were across the road from Universal Studios, Hanna Barbera, Turner Network, and so we did a lot of studio work. Um, we did a lot of um, photo shoots, um, and that actually gave me a really good insight into what a florist goes through in terms of dealing with uh, brides and push and pull between the members of families within wedding parties, um, <laughs> dealing with storyboards and photo shoots and people's palettes and, and also things like coverage, which wholesalers don't really uh, uh, understand that well. They're, they're selling flowers without realizing how much those flowers need to cover or the value of a flower that covers a lot of space when you're building an arch or mm. uh, a, a wall piece. Um, and, and also it gave me kind of an insight as to how important um, the quality of the flowers, the radiance, um, the longevity. Sure. And it, it really helped being on both sides of the tables. But I did go back to wholesale um, to learn the shipping part of the industry, and um, I did. Uh, I liked the retail side of it, but I, I felt like I was more suited to to wholesale, and I I missed the flower market. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't miss the hours, but I, I missed I missed the energy of the flower market, and I have always been attracted to to all forms of markets. Um, I, I like markets, uh, like farmers markets. Mm-hmm. I love the wholesale fish market in Los Angeles. I love the wholesale produce market in Los Angeles. I like the noise and the shouting <laughs> and the the rawness of you know the the way produce moves in in volumes and and also the uh, that I developed my business based on that kind of hot potato theory where <laughs> perishables must just move 
you know, they, they come in, you look at them, you smell them, they're beautiful, but they, they have to go. And so you keep moving the hot potato to, to keep it fresh and, and radiant and, and give it longevity in the hands of the consumer. That's a great analogy. Well, I remember you were telling me um, when we first met or spoke last year, and then also you mentioned it on the, the call last week, um, how you started to understand like the network of of airline routes that you could exploit to get affordable, to have an affordable way to get product out to kind of this sort of hub and sp- or what's it called hub and spoke model, right? Um, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, when I started my business, I happened to be on a, a flight. Um, Southwest Airlines had napkins in those days, and with the peanuts. <laughs> Same this napkin, <laughs> and that that napkin showed every single city that Southwest Air um, flew to. And working at the flower market, I, I noticed that a lot of the relationships um, when I was shipping on other airlines, whether it was Delta or American back then, uh, or United, uh, and even FedEx, um, those relationships were developing with florists when they had those services, but they weren't developing in the same way that the relationships with florists that lived in cities that had Southwest service, Mm. those relationships seem to be really flourishing. And, you know, my mom always told me you get what you pay for, but Southwest really defied that. Um, They were way less expensive than any other freight service that I was aware of. And their service was so much better. You know, a florist asked me the other day, he said, what is it with people at Southwest Air when you go pick up the cargo? Everyone's so nice. It doesn't matter what city you're in. And I, you know, I really don't know what this is. I I do know that um, they didn't lay a lot of people off in 2008. Mm. And I think they built a lot of... um, loyalty within the people that work for them. I know a lot of airlines had to lay a lot of people off and then rehire people when um, when things got better around 2009 and 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it, I, I built my business initially of um, shipping to florists and event companies in cities that Southwest was serving. Um, and that allowed us to spend most of the money on flowers. And a lot of the recipients were not getting huge freight bills. Um, a lot of florists back then were using models that were comparing um, the percentage of what they were spending on a shipment, how much of that percentage was flowers, and how much of it was freight. And um, so that helped a lot in that respect. Um, and since then, my my company has uh, expanded to to many different freight carriers. Um, uh, I know JetBlue just forty eight hours ago signed a contract with Cal Flowers, wow. which, um, which gives a very exciting fifty cent rate uh, all in, including all the airport fees. Um, 
So that's very exciting. And then also lately, Alaska Air has been wonderful um, in the last few years. But that the, the Southwest model is basically how I started um, my business. And, um, and yes, those relationships um, are, are still quite strong. Um, so, uh, Yanni, there's you're just what you described. I can picture like you were this this flower hunter in L.A. and this this worked when you could go. I think you told me go to the Burbank Airport and and drop off on the commercial freight side, you know, boxes of flowers that would immediately go go out to Denver or Salt Lake or you know whatever. And then would the florist be there to pick it up on the other end? Is that is sort of how, how that worked? Yes, there have been cases where florists don't want to go to the airport, and I have found local couriers to pick up at Southwest Air and take it to an event site or, or to a florist. But uh, more often than not, a florist picks up at Southwest, um, and it's usually very, very simple. They pay for the freight themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, my my discount through Cowflowers goes uh, as a pass through, and so it it gets passed on to the florist, and they like the fact that they're paying for the freight themselves. They realize the freight is not marked up, and right. the only markup is um, is based on flowers. Um, and so, more often than not, they will pick up the flowers at Southwest Air, and uh, it's it's as simple as. Um, you need uh, a credit card to pay and and your driver's license or something <laughs> right. um, um, and, yeah and that that's still working for a great percentage of your uh, your I guess um, gigs I guess or orders that come through right yes yeah that 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 still is is something that is working currently one of the the important things to me when I set up my business was uh, there was a lot that I learned at the flower market that I really liked and I've carried through onto my business, but there were some parts of the business that I really didn't like. Um, I, I felt like there were too many banking fees involved in flower purchases. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to eliminate that as an experiment um, in the beginning of my business, and uh, and that worked for me, and so I carried it through. And the model basically was that every farm was paid for the flowers as the flowers left the door of the farm, and so the farmers were prepaid, and. I wanted to build a system of trust with florists. And so I wanted them to receive the flowers and pay for the flowers um, by check in the mail uh, with no banking fees. And they would pay for the flowers if they were satisfied with the flowers. They would pay you. They would pay, pay you. The, you've already paid the farmer, would, right? Yes. And I, I wanted my business to be based on trust and not on... Um, I, I didn't want to check people's credit. Um, I, I wanted florists to build credit with me uh, week in, week out, based on the way they treated me and based on the relationship that we built. 
And this has worked really well for me. I, I don't necessarily recommend it to anybody else, but I don't want to protect myself from my customers. I don't want to protect myself from the farmers that, that I buy from. Um, and I don't really want to build a business that is based on the necessity to, um, not really sure of the word. Almost but, like a but, d distrust, right? Or, or suspicion. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so, um, in almost all cases, this has worked really well and people seem to be somewhat not suspicious of a handshake deal, but they find it very unusual because it's not that common in our industry and it's not that common in any industry, I guess. But I have found that people, um, they do rise to, um, to really treat uh, people really well when, when they are trusted. And so recently when I started um, on Instagram, um, uh, this has only been, gosh, like three months now, um, and a lot of the Instagram customers insisted on paying uh, with Venmo mm. um, because a, a lot of them are of the generation where they <laughs> don't have a checkbook. And right. They don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and they were more comfortable that way. So I, I did open up uh, a Venmo account, which, which is uh, – which is also free of, of bank fees. And mm -hmm. so that, that kind of, it did suit the, um, the principles that I, I wanted to have. I wanted people to spend a hundred dollars on flowers and not have $3 or two fifty of those hundred dollars going towards banking fees. And I, you know, I, it, there's only one farm that I know of in the country that, um, that I have to pay um, after the flowers arrive. And, and that's Pete from Westland because um, he doesn't take um, instant forms of payment either. He yeah. only takes a check <laughs> in the mail. So, um, he's, he's your kind of guy. Of, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, as far as most of the farms, um, they have appreciated being paid immediately because they find themselves um, somewhat farmers, but also somewhat in some form of banking industry themselves, because a lot of what farmers are doing are rotating money from wholesalers that are paying them, uh, in theory, 30 days, but uh, very often it's not coming in 30 days. And that's often because a lot of wholesalers are being paid slower down the line by people that are purchasing from them. And so there's a whole case of rotating money that, that makes our industry, it, it, for me, it takes away from what, what we're doing and focusing on flowers. And it's almost like you have to have a branch of your company that deals with finance, rotating money, make sure that enough right. money is coming in and you know yeah. so 
So yeah, that yeah. doesn't suit me. So, are there times when you're not touching the flowers, and then the farm is shipping direct to the customer, and you've just brokered the the purchase? I mean, it seems like that would be necessary with this hot potato model. Yes, very much so, and and especially now during um, during the pandemic that we're going through, uh, even more so. But um, yes, what I try and do is match florists and event companies that are looking for particular items that are grown as close to um, to the florist as possible mm-hmm. and um, and making sure that they're getting as high a quality and a reasonable rate on the flowers that they're looking for. And this helps twofold. It both It helps lower people's um, freight bills and then also it it creates less of a, a footprint. Um, right. It's it's a fresher so, product. Yeah. Yeah. And um you know, I, I mean it's just because we can fly flowers from Australia and New Zealand and South Africa um across the planet, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a healthy idea or a sustainable idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if um, if generations from now they will look back uh, with amazement when they read history and and see that you know not only flowers that that we were flying you know butter from from <laughs> across the planet when we have plenty cows. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's like, why is there Irish butter at Costco? I don't get it. <laughs> That's a good example. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I think part of the reason is is also um, we have, you know, like like governments in in Australia have put so much money into their wine industry by subsidizing the wine farmers, and so they are able to export wine, and it's wonderful because they've developed. Uh, this massive wine industry. But the truth of the matter is that the numbers don't really work out if you take away those government subsidies. Um, So it's really complicated. The government subsidies have developed this amazing wine industry that a few decades ago really was very low in numbers, and now it's a big worldwide player. And so that's really healthy for for their economy, for their farmers, but it's—I guess—it doesn't really help in terms of the greater good for right. for all of us. Right. Wow. So you're—you alluded to the COVID era and the kind of pandemic uh, reality that we're in. I'm just curious if there are some things that have been, you know, changes that you've been forced to make in the way you do business. Um, I know when we spoke on the Zoom call, the um, the virtual meetup that you alluded to the fact that there were a couple of weeks there where you, you stopped doing business in maybe what late March or something. And just talk a little bit about what has happened to you and how you've adapted. Yeah. In um, actually in the beginning of March, things, uh, things seem to shut down completely. Um, and so for three and a half weeks, I did not, sell any flowers. Um, and I, 
It was also a very sensitive time. It still is a sensitive time. One has to be very careful in terms of um, what is healthy in terms of promoting oneself, in terms of trying to push sales. It's it's a very sensitive time that's unprecedented. And um, it was a very good time for me to take classes, some online classes, in areas that I um, am very weak in, um, for example, Instagramming, general business classes, uh, classes on photography that that help with social media. Um, and so I really took time to, to really also take stock of my business and mm. see to what degree am I part of the problem and what parts of my business are not healthy. Um, and and so I I'm still in the process of of adjusting my business and and giving thought to um, to to what I'm doing that is really can be improved on a lot. Um, and so um, after about three and a half weeks um, towards the end of March. Um, I started because of the the Instagram work that I, I was doing. I started getting a lot of queries and started having conversations with people that I had not done business with prior, and so that that was really healthy. And um, and out of that, uh, in the ensuing weeks in April, I started getting small orders. Um, and then building relationships with some farmers um, that I was selling to. And slowly but surely, the orders got slightly bigger. Um, I still, a lot of the clients that, that, I am, uh, that I have been selling to since 2006 have been quite slow. Leading up to Mother's Day, things mm. started just opening a bit um and what i did in in march and april was um spend time talking to the customers that i have relationships with just in terms of what's going on in their life how they felt about um all the issues it's interesting that um i was really really surprised how different people's views um of what was going on had evolved within the isolation that we're all experiencing, not only for my customers, for my friends as well. I had such a varied um, group of, of opinions of, of how people viewed what was going on um, from medical aspects to conspiratorial aspects to just all kinds of, of viewpoints that, that we all kind of uh, came up with mm-hmm. in, in our isolation. Yeah. Um, and so this was this was really interesting and and sometimes really disturbing as well. Um, and and slowly um, I, I I started talking to customers about how they uh, viewed their future and how they viewed starting up. Um, a, a lot of the flowers I sell to are, are wedding based, and sure. so how they envisioned the future, what they thought weddings may look like and how they thought they would fit into servicing those weddings in, in a completely new environment. 
Right. So you're kind of aware and, and just from these sort of trusted clients and they're, they trust you. So they're kind of revealing what they think the future is going to look like. And I'm sure there's probably a short-term scenario and a long-term hope, uh, just that, you know, people are trying to stay in business in all kinds of creative new ways. Yes. And, and even in my personal life, I've, I, you know, I have a dialogue with my wife about, well, when things um, get slightly better, in what form are we going to have our first social contacts <laughs> with our family and friends? Are mm-hmm. we going to see them with masks uh, on? Um, are we going to see them, uh, well, I mean, hopefully months down the road, are we going to see them and, and have them six to 10 feet apart within our garden or within our home or or what is all of that going to look like? And and to the same degree, I'm having that dialogue with Floris uh, about what are wedding parties going to look like and how they're going to differ from from the wedding parties that you know we've always traditionally done. Um, and yeah, it's been really interesting. I mean, the the idea of a Zoom wedding is is so bizarre and futuristic, but but maybe we have arrived at that future. You know, Yanni, I just heard about a Zoom funeral uh, service. So I I do think it is bizarre and futuristic, but people are wanting to connect. And, and even if they that means using technology to do it, I guess that's what can be present is are the flowers because flowers are not you know, as far as I know, aren't going to spread coronavirus. So they're safer than than even a human with a mask, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Wow. I feel, too, a lot of the florists are giving me feedback that um, they're going to have to do a lot more weddings in order to survive because, um, to your point, those weddings will have flowers. And, and I feel like at this minute, we're all ready to bring flowers into our lives. It feels like there's a real urge amongst the population to include flowers in their lives, to support the local florists, to support farmers, but also because of the joy it brings them. But if you have wedding parties that are closer to 10 to 20 people instead of 100 to 200 people, then the flower size budgets are going to be accordingly. And so florists are fearing that they're going to have to do multiple more weddings than they're used to in order to to pay the bills. Right. I did have a conversation with a Slow Flowers member uh, who's a wedding and event florist in, um, in Pennsylvania last week. And he was predicting, of course, he's had like 30 events postponed or, you know, or reschedule um, in the short term. And he was predicting that the people who want to have the kind of the petite, intimate wedding with just like you said, a, a wedding party of, you know, maybe under 10 guests plus the officiant, he's hoping that some of them still want the like over the top photography with the arbor and, you know, the big sprays and of course the personals um, for to remember this the significance of the of the uh, vows and he's saying well maybe if they're going to you know maybe the catering budget gets cut because there's no guests but maybe they'll keep 
that large floral budget. I think it might have been wishful thinking, but I, I, I would. It'll be interesting to see how what you end up hearing uh, on that front going going forward. I hadn't thought of that. That that's a really good point. Um, I, I I think that that does make a lot of sense. What what is going to reduce um, is naturally the volume of of centerpieces for the table. Yes, exactly. But everything else is correct. Everything else probably stays the same. The bridal bouquet, the bridesmaids, the personal boutonnieres. Um, and if there's an arch or a chuppah um, or any kind of structural piece, that may very well um, still exist. I do feel that... Um, you're probably right that that may be wishful thinking because <laughs> I feel that no matter how wealthy or middle class or um, or, or close to the, the breadline we are, I think everybody has taken and will take an enormous financial hit. And so I think that'll reflect just in terms of people's personal budget. I think that'll reflect um in terms of, of not what they want to spend on flowers for the weddings, but what they're capable of. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Well, we will uh, keep tracking this as we go forward. It is, you know, the this is going to air at the end of May, and we're only like basically eight to ten weeks into this weird landscape. And yet you're still selling flowers, and you still have, you're fulfilling, you know, orders of, that make people very happy through Flowers Without Borders. And I know you've got maybe some other possibilities coming in the future. Do you want to touch on a few of those before we wrap up? Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, yes. Um, one explosive area within the flower world that I really um, I think is, is fantastic is, is the explosion of flower classes all over the country and um and so yes we're in negotiation right now with farmers um who are used to selling higher volumes to wholesalers uh and to florists um and and to see whether that is worth their while to ship multiple smaller boxes to flower classes um and those classes would be anywhere between say 10 and 20 people and then the the volume would add up because they would be shipping multiple boxes mm -hmm. but the the each individual box would not contain the volume that they're used to shipping sure. and so this is this is one model that um that I've been working on that uh that I've been getting good feedback from some farms other farms um, are, are really not interested because um, they they really feel like the labor is is way too intensive to pack um, the smaller boxes. Interestingly enough, a lot of farms are worried about stepping on the toes of wholesalers. Um, this is a huge issue in in the flower industry. The Los Angeles flower market took an ad out in the in the LA Times years ago inviting the public down to buy from wholesalers. And so there's a huge uh, worry amongst farmers that they're going to upset wholesalers if they sell direct. Um, my inquiries led me to 
the fact that a lot of farms are selling through FTD consumer boxes to consumers anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's going through companies like FTD, um, yeah, I, I guess it's, <laughs> it's yeah, hidden. It's, it's invisible, right? <laughs> yeah, it's an out. But I mean, this this is something that is part, from my perspective, it's part of the beauty of this country. If you want to be a florist in Holland, you have to go study, get accredited, and go through a whole bunch of red tape, and that's good for them. And then you can become a florist. What I love about the economy in this country is that it is a free-for-all, and that as long as you respect people and you don't step on people's toes, you can wake up tomorrow and go get a $30 resale number and call yourself a florist the next morning or a wholesaler the next morning and you can learn and teach yourself as you go. That's how I developed my business. And this country provides opportunity for people that aren't necessarily that expert at what they're doing. It provides an opportunity for you to fail as a business person and for you to succeed as a business person. And so I, I really enjoy the, this environment because um, it's not that laid out with restrictions and rules that if you're a consolidator, you have to buy from this one and mm. the wholesale has to mm-hmm. buy from this one. And so I guess the most important thing is to to try and respect people within your industry and and not not be absolutely concerned of of whether you're ready to be a farmer, a wholesaler, a florist. Well, that's a nice sentiment to end on. I do think that there's a, there's a optimism in your voice. Uh, you probably can't imagine doing anything other than Flowers Without Borders or some iteration of being in the flower world. So you're making it work. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's too late for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we go, I have one question. You you. I didn't warn you about this, so you may not be able to answer it, but what is the most outrageous find on your hunting journey that you have actually been able to to secure for someone? Was it the lilac story or is there something else? Um, I can't really think of anything outrageous. Um, <laughs> maybe that's not the right word or rare maybe. Yeah, I, I, I think it was, um, yes, I'm too nervous to think straight, but <laughs> I think, yes, the, the, the lilac story is, um, is, is one that's really dear to my heart um, because it led me to uh, the Pincus family, yes. who are the couple that run Third Branch, and they're amazing people they made me a hero for finding lilac when everybody said lilac was unavailable and i i really like that role and the the second order um that i ordered from them was from a local florist who needed lilac for angelina jolie and she was so thrilled with the quality of the lilac from third branch and and that really made her look really good uh in the eyes of her client and so um i got that feedback it went back to the farm 
and um and so yeah that 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 was um that's was a really amazing experience for me. <laughs> That's a great story. Well, listen, Yanni, will you share some photos of, uh, you have a fabulous Instagram feed and you're kind of a, you know, a horticulturist in your, the way your eye sees the natural world. So I'd love to see if you can share some photos uh, of your, the flowers you've been procuring and um, what's passing through your hands uh, that we can include in the show notes uh, for today's episode uh which we'll have at deborahprinzing.com uh so people can meet you even though they're just meeting you virtually it's it's a start it's a start until we can all gather again i will do um i'll send you some images that i have um and i just want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me um it's been really enjoyable mm, i've enjoyed it too yanni thank you so much Thanks so much for joining today's conversation. As a bonus, follow the link in today's show notes to watch the replay video of our May 15th Slow Flowers member virtual meetup when Yanni Levenbach of Flowers Without Borders was joined by Bethany Little of Charles Little & Company. The Slow Flowers member virtual meetups continue to provide value and support as a member benefit. Please join me at the next Slow Flowers virtual meetup this Friday, May 22nd, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. I can't wait to see you there. You can find the link to join us on May 22nd in today's show notes. And you can also find it in our Instagram profile at my slow flowers. We will also share the link on our slow flowers, Facebook page and in the slow flowers community on Facebook. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield gardens, which provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at longfield-gardens.com. And our final sponsor thank you goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at shop.syndicatesales.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 606,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.